Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. Sam, good morning to you, old boy. Good morning, uh, boss. How are you? Very well, very well. And uh, We had a pleasant night Saturday night. Uh, yeah, went to the storm. Melbourne storm. Uh, <laughs> dare I say, one of the few times I got beaten and convincingly by Canterbury Bankstown. Yes, i got the muzzle on us now, but uh, it was a pleasure having uh, Billy Slater with us in the box. The great Billy Slater was uh, with us. He showed us the intricacies of the great game, not... We had a fair understanding of it, but not uh, when you hear oh, Billy. You need someone telling you. Yeah, things. he said, you watch these two guys, seven into nine, and then the big second row comes through, and by then I was in a state of flux. I was on my third glass, I think, at 389 or so. Yeah, anyway, it was a good day. It was a good night. Now, we're starting our podcast today with uh, one of the greats, over 300 games. In fact, 306 games of footy Superstar. With, with your old team, North Melbourne. Uh, he was captain of the side for all oh, eight or nine years. Nearly a decade, yeah. Coached for a while and Coached. one of the all-time greats. And we refer to Wayne Schemmelbosch, who joins us. Good day, Wayne. Hey, Leon and Sam. Good to be on the show. Now, my name's Wiga. That's German. Schimmelbush. <laughs> everybody would have a second guess about that. Well, I guess it's in that area. Yes, um, Schimmelbush is from the Dusseldorf area of Germany. Oh, that's where the Bismarck was built, was it not, uh, Leon? You both uh, come out in the Bismarck. Yeah, but they had, uh, <laughs> my, my ancestors had a uh, cutlery business that made all the knives and forks for the area, and they employed 3,000 people back a long, long time oh. ago, and, and the business went down a drone, and uh, they got run out of town. Oh. <laughs> uh, the, the one family had the five boys in it, and one of the boys went to five different countries of the world. One come to Australia, and that's that's where we're yeah, over yeah. every single bush in Australia, which is only not many, but they're all related. And ones in it, ones in America are all related. The ones in Austria are all related. The ones in Italy are all related. Yeah, very interesting. I was in Düsseldorf last year, and uh, they've got a, a lot of golf courses there. You might be uh, surprised to hear. Oh, there's not a lot of German golfers. I mean, I can think of one. The one bike that was pretty good was Langer. Langer well, no, they, well, up up in that area. Well, Dusseldorf's up on the top, and yeah. and uh, you've got uh, you've got um, Hamburg up there as well, and they've both got very good golf courses. Anyway, that's a by the by. Well, uh, welcome along to Sport and Life. Well, no, and one one area that doesn't have a very good golf course in Germany. Where's that? It was Dresden when they, when they oh, finished bombing. Oh, that, that's it. Now, they've oh, rebuilt that. No, my wife and I went there because that, that in Leipzig, uh, classical music centre. Yeah. And that was our shame. You know, that, uh, Bomber Harris uh, gave that order and um, it was in the last days of the war. Uh, the, the Germans were on their knees, absolutely out. Now, we're not making any excuses for them. But that was totally unnecessary to raise that old city to the ground. Anyway, that's another matter. That's it's, we'll leave that. To that's the a life part of sport and life. <laughs> yeah, that's a life. <laughs> now, Jimmy, you were born here, of course, weren't you? I was certainly born in Melbourne. Yes, and raised in a, uh, the opulent suburbs and the treeline suburb of Brunswick. Were you not? Oh, uh, no, we must be on that. We were in West Brunswick. Oh, West Brunswick, okay, sorry. I, I apologise for that. Brunswick West has got a bit better ring about it. Yes. And your alma mater was where? Why, sorry? Your school. Where'd you go to school? The school, um, school was sort of uh, in a straight line, was probably only 100 metres or right way. Um, it was a North West Brunswick Primary School. Went to walk around the block to get to it, though. Oh, and, and then I, went, I did go to Brunswick High School eventually. Right. Um, and I left Brunswick High School to do 
so I was pretty talented as, as a student at one stage. I, Brunswick High School didn't have the, the, the hard subjects, the physics, chemistry, maths one and maths two, all that sort of stuff. You did the... So I changed schools to Coburg High School to do those. Ah. And ultimately, how far did you go in school? Did you go to tertiary or you just... Oh, uh, no, I, I, they didn't pass me up there. I, um, I passed all those hard subjects, but I, I failed English. And so they wouldn't mm. give me the, what they used to call matriculation in those days. That's like, right. That's what it was called. So they wouldn't let me pass. I had to go back for another year. And I said, bugger that, I'm not going back there for another year. Yeah. So I went straight into the computer industry. They, yeah. trained you on, they trained you on site. So I, I think I worked on the first ever computer in Melbourne. But yeah. big thing, the big thing that only fitted in a room that was uh, 30 metres by 30 metres yeah. <laughs> at, at Main Nicholas. And there was another similar computer at Shell. Now they're only two big computers in Melbourne, and I started off as a training operator, a computer operator. It's amazing when you talk about your matric, because in those days, I did the humanities course as well, and in those days English was divided with the English literature and English expression, yeah. and you had to pass them both to get through matric. And uh, a lot of people. Well, I was very good at expression, obviously writing uh, <laughs> essays and you know the spoken word. I, did, I loved it, but literature and Shakespeare and Hamlet. I did Hamlet and Macbeth, and you reckon I could digest those? It no, just it wasn't wasn't part of my DNA. But uh, what you thinking up to actually concentrate on? Now, uh, so then you found your way to the uh, the turf at uh, Brunswick Oval. Was that uh, your first foray into the uh, the game that made you what you are? Oh, no, I was lucky enough to live on in, in West Brunswick West, obviously. Right at my back fence, there was two football overs right next to each other. Um, we were a few different sides played at, and so I played on my junior footy there, um, starting under 13s, and we under 15s and under 17s, and I, I couldn't get a kick early. I was bloody hopeless. I mean, in fact, uh, my mother called me a squib. I couldn't, wouldn't go in hard enough and all that sort of stuff. And my little brother, Daryl, who you know, who played at North Melbourne as well. He was a good player himself. He, he, um, he was very good. So he was, I was I sort of 11, started there 11, and he was nine. He was getting the game before me most of the time. But as years went past, I mean, because we had Ables at the back of our place, we were always, always out there kicking the ball around. Kept under 17, and um, the second year, they'd, I'd, I'd start getting a few kicks. So um, the, the president of the club had been president of Brunswick City Football Club for many, many years. Um, said to me, we want you to play in the seniors. Uh, not under 17, so I, I started. I didn't want to do that, so I played. I was playing under 17 in the morning, A grade S and district in the afternoon, and stupidly on the Sunday I was playing. Remember the old Sunday league? I oh, do, of course. <laughs> Happy Valley and all those sort of. Yeah, that was the Sunday Association. And um, and so I started playing for them on the Sunday as well. So I was playing three games a week in, and my mother eventually said, "You've got to concentrate on your schoolwork. So you give them. Give, you can only play one game a week in." So I chose to play under 17 for all my mates. And the president's been there for 20 years as president and kicked me out and said, no, you can go. If you're not going to give us any time, you can go. And so all my other schoolmates were playing for Brunswick Thirds in the VFA. So halfway through the season, I went and played for Brunswick Thirds. Hey. And then the next two years, I got promoted into the seniors before North came knocking on the door and said, come to North. So uh, what, what, what was the difference between the... As described by your mother, the uh, the the timid young Wayne, and, yeah, um, and and the guy that showed a bit of promise. Well, I suppose when you get told by your mother that you're a bit frightened, um, you got to go two ways. You either take it on the chin and just go away and don't bother playing the game, or you say, "Look, I'm going to prove it wrong." 
and, and that was probably the start of it. I just decided I'm not going to let her get away with that. I'm just going to start throwing myself in. And it's interesting, the more you throw yourself in, the less you get hurt. There must have been some blatant examples of cowardice for your mum to be so brutal. <laughs> uh, she, she was very brutal, don't worry about that. <laughs> very, very tough, strong lady. Hey, going back to that uh, Sunday Association, the Happy Valley and all those crowds, uh, that would have toughened you up because they, uh, they didn't muck around. They certainly didn't muck around. I played one day where um, they used to get big crowds too because, because of the fights. Um, we were playing, playing at the back of my place one day. I can't remember who we were playing. But this big fight started before quarter time. Um, and all the supporters were in the turn. There would have been a thousand people on the ground throwing punches, kicking each other. I stood out. I mean, I was going, I was like the kid of 17. I was going in here all the getting kicked in that stood out the umpires couldn't control they walked off the ground had a shower come back and watched the fights for another 15 minutes and left before the cops <laughs> arrived to break it all up <laughs> and the other interesting about Brunswick United they used to give prizes out for best on the ground up at half time who'd been best, their best player and it was four, four beer tickets <laughs> so I'm, I'm running around against all these blokes that have been in the Sunday morning barrel somewhere they're all half drunk when they play and obviously I'm getting a few kicks I'm getting best on the ground every week so a lot of those blokes befriended me because they wanted the tickets at half time <laughs> so I'm just handing the tickets out to them at half time so they could drink some more before they went back for the second half they were the days. Certainly, certainly an interesting yeah. competition. <laughs> yes. And you had a good commercial edge about you too, Shimmy. You would have had a little stipend for those tickets. You would have exchanged them for a little something in no, your the, kit. The deal was, you look after me out there. Just look after me. Now, before we get on to your footy career, great that it was, uh, nowadays your business is uh, a big cleaning company. And uh, what got you into that originally? Um, well, when I joined the... Um, when I joined the club back in 1993, I think I was, I joined the club, the Sack Coaches Club, which oh, yeah. everybody, everybody that coaches eventually gets into that. Yeah, right. Um, I'd, I'd, I was the last part-time coach. Um, every other AFL side had full-time coaches and full-time assistants, and I had a part-time assistant, and I was part-time. So um, I eventually went full-time at the end of the third year, which lasted three months or four months. Um, and when I got the flick, I mean, I had, I'd left, my, left all my jobs. I had a couple of different jobs. I'd left them to go full time. And one of them was still in computers and they wouldn't want to take, didn't want to take me back because they thought, well, we can't afford to pay the sort of money you're getting from two different jobs. We can't afford to pay that. So I couldn't, I couldn't go back there. I couldn't get enough money to support my family of four kids and the big wards we had. So I sat around eating sausages every week trying to find something. I eventually decided to buy a business. Lamb sausages were they, Wayne? Oh, we had whatever, whatever we could afford. <laughs> and the whole, we had them cooked many different ways. But after about three months, I look again, they're buying a business um, that happened to be a cleaning business. And they cleaned, uh, the business I bought cleaned at that stage 12, uh, no, 10 gold supermarkets. That's all I had. It had 23 employees and supermarkets were cleaned at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and supermarkets closed at midday on a Saturday. So all the stripping and sealing and you know, very polishing the floor happened on a Saturday afternoon and Sunday. Um, and that eventually grew. I mean, I ended up with probably 35 coal supermarkets. And at the same time, I got into cleaning buses through a mate who got the CEO's role. When, when the buses first got privatised in Melbourne, um, a company from Sydney bought it. Um, bought all those green. Remember, they used to be green and yellow buses. Yep. 
they, the companies from Sydney got the, the job of running the buses for 10 years and so I was become their cleaner. We started, I think we started cleaning buses on Boxing Day 1993. And so we still clean buses. In fact, we clean 1,200 buses a, a day, basically. Um, I'm no longer in charge. I sold the business to my son three years ago and during COVID or be, just before COVID. Um, and COVID was very interesting. I mean, the buses were getting cleaned three times a day because of COVID. And uh, we had to triple our workforce. Um, and they weren't even getting used. Everybody was blocked up. So the buses were getting cleaned three times and nobody was in them. Mm. So he, he did very well out of that. And I was, I said, I saw it to him, he's paying me off still. But uh, the deal was that I'd do his book work for one day a week. Uh, and ended up being um, during COVID seven days a week, 14 hours a day. It's all the reports you had to put into the government all the time. And like a true tr- Shimbushi, but he just ordered me around. <laughs> I was sick of him ordering me around. So as of January the 1st this year, I said, I've had enough. I'm out of there. Um, do the rest, of this, the rest of yourself. So and he still brings me up every bloody day, asking me about this, asking me about that. He's, he put an accountant on um, probably six months before I left. And I. You know, he's actually got to count straight out of school, so... So now you just charge him. Training up a bit, so I've got a bit more free time now. So you charge you a consultancy fee. Let's get back to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to those... Doing book work for nothing. Yeah. Let's get back to those heady early days, you know, the uh, the beginning of it all. I yeah. guess the one common denominator we all share when we talk about North Melbourne is, particularly with recruiting, would be Ron Joseph. And oh, I, yes. Ron, yeah. Ron was trying to sort of help... Well, probably did recruit me. Yeah, he recruit so what was the uh, in those days? It was it was a given, don't you? You know, inner city clubs like uh, Br- uh, Brunswick would go to North Melbourne or Fitzroy. Did you well, have a tired North? Did- zones to live, where, where, depending on where you lived. Yeah, so I mean, he was zoned. Very close to uh, David Dench, and he wasn't far, but there was other people on the yeah. road who had to go to Carlton. But where I lived was a North Melbourne zone, same as where you lived in Myrtleford, North Melbourne. That's right. And in '73, when you came across. So you missed the really early days. You you came across just at the end of uh, Brian Dixon's reign, and then of course Barras arrived at the, yeah, the well, Renaissance. My first night was the same night as Ron Barassi's. Yeah. Um, Barry Davis, Doug Way, John Rantel, um, big huge buzz around the place, and I learnt my first lesson about being professional um, on that first night. You remember Sam? We probably had to run yeah, that's right. down to Ross Field to yeah. um, to train down there. And everybody's handling, and there's 120 people at training. They didn't have sort of lists in those days. There's 120 people. Mick Nolan was there, and he's, he was down for the first night. Um, we had to run down to this Rostral field, <laughs> and everybody's handing their boots to Cookie. You remember Cookie, the booster? Oh, heck, you not forget Cookie. Yeah, but well, everybody's handing their boots to Cookie, so I thought, okay, I'm not going to run boots a man or give him the Cookie. Well, down we get there, and Russ, as you know, said, we've got to play in boots, so you're going to train in boots, even though it's bloody early January. Oh, and sticking stick hot where you're going to, you're going to play, in, <laughs> play in boots, training boots. So, everybody put the boots on, mine are missing. Cookie forgotten them. <laughs> and so, Brassy, I haven't even, even talked to him, I haven't even met him, bawled me out in front of the 120 people about being unprofessional. And you're never going to make the grade if you can't look after your own gear and you can't do this, you can't oh. do that. Well, Cookie never saw my boots again. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first lesson that he taught me about being professional. And the <laughs> look, ones after that, your own, look after your own gear. <laughs> and like all boot starters and like all those guys that looked after all the equipment, uh, 
Cookie was one of the most frugal of all time. Right? Just, <laughs> exactly. you, wouldn't well, yeah, go, you wouldn't go up there and ask for a pair of socks or a pair of jocks or something more than once, let me assure you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had, uh, well, you know, David Hinch and those blushes put it on me all the time because I'd come back from, bam, uh, the summer holiday, so to speak, and I'd be three shorts bigger than I was, <laughs> three shorts bigger than I was when I left. My brass knew I'd trained pretty hard, so he didn't care too much about that because he knew I'd be within two weeks I'd be back to where I was. But the other said, "Hey, come, you can get three different pairs of shorts. You, you come back with one, you get three different pairs of socks. You come back, you get your gear. Two weeks later, you get another set because you've lost weight. Two weeks later, another set. We, we got to stuck with the same set. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, how, how did that assimilation go? Not that you were there before all those great players turned up. Uh, be good for the 10-year rule, but um, uh, must have been an unusual thing for you as a young bloke coming in from Brunswick to, to meet these other greats for the uh, of the game and see them uh, assimilate with the rest of the North Melbourne crew. Yeah, I mean, it sort of made it a little bit... I mean, I came across from Brunswick... Not many people knew too much about Brunswick in the VFA. I um, came across from Brunswick, but not expected. I, I wanted to hide. I just wanted to go there and, you know, train and that sort of stuff. And because Brassie's first night and those other three blokes' first night, um, you could just sort of go in there and do your thing without being noticed too much, which suited me down to the ground. I mean, all the pressure was on those blokes, not me. But it was an interesting time. I mean, I was, it's fortunate to be there at the same time when the things were going to happen. I mean, it's, obviously, it's players that play the whole career, 300 games, and I'll career never play in a final. But uh, fortunate enough to play in quite a few finals. I also win a couple of premierships, and I just kept thinking of a bloke like Robbie Flower or, or Peter Fett. Peter Bobby Skelton. Bobby Skelton, I mean, they're all great footballers, um, but they never got a chance to play in a grand final, never alone win one. Uh, 29 finals you played in. Uh, um uh, was Keith Gregg around North Melbourne when you were there? Yeah, Keith Gregg played at Brunswick too. He yes. played at Brunswick before me. When I was in the thirds, he was playing at the seniors. And he left. Um, the year I went up to the seniors, he left to go to North Melbourne. So he got the North Melbourne two years before me. A very nice man. Yes. Superstar. Shimmer. Uh, play as well. Shimmer, there were certainly exciting times that, you know, the 10 years after you know, the advent of Barass and all of a sudden North changed dramatically and all of a sudden became successful, almost became Hollywood, I guess, to a large degree. Tell me, uh, how did you find the transition? I mean, to so say you slipped in it fairly seamlessly. I mean, to so say you, you were straight into the senior side virtually, weren't you? I played the first round of the year. I missed most of pre-season because I had, not most, I missed three weeks of pre-season because of, uh, I had tonsillitis. I had my tonsils out. So I only played the one practice game um, and then went straight into the scenes. I was a bit surprised I got picked, but I got picked. I didn't, I didn't, I remember the first game. We played Hawthorne, I played on Ian Bremner, and it was at Arden Street. Yeah, good initiation. Uh, uh, Ian Bremner was one of the hardest blokes I played on. Yeah. But I, I only had five kicks from memory. I think I only had five kicks. But what I did do was I had about six tackles and about a chase blokes down from behind, um, all that sort of stuff, and that, that impressed it. Rash enough to give me a go again next week. Well, it's easy to do that, I suppose, because we won the game by five goals and uh, 32 points. Won the first game of the year, so everybody knew the North will go and play. So I said, OK, we can give you another go next week. And, and then next week I managed to hop play it on a bloke called Paul Hurst before I ended up moving Gold, Bruce yeah. to onto me. Tell me... Uh Barass, how did you find Barass? He was a culture shock. I'm mean, going to say he polarised a lot of the players, but, you know, I'm going to say I love Ron Barassi. We all love Ron Barassi. You know, oh, look, one... he ended up being one of my best mates, I and mean, it's a shame yeah. to him now. But, uh, look, I got on pretty well with him. Um, I was probably smart enough in the end to hide from him. It, it, 
half-time addresses and quarter-time addresses. <laughs> you stand behind Mick Nolan so he can't see because you know what he's like. He'd turn around, he'd be looking around, all everybody's looking at him. And if he saw somebody he wanted to say something about, he'd be into him. Well, you couldn't find... He can't see you. He doesn't remember you. <laughs> well, he couldn't... <laughs> he, he couldn't find Brent Crossell or Malcolm Bly because... Uh, By the time those best and hedges all smoked went up in the sky. <laughs> that's right. You couldn't and see you, anyone in the room. The form got out of your sock. You're breaking up. Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, look, it was good. I, and I, I got on very well with Brass. I mean, he obviously had a go at me like he had a go at everybody at times. Exactly. Um, but he never held grudges. He'd get it off his chest. Yeah. And he could coy call all sorts of things, say all sorts of bad things about you. But the game would be the first player to come to you and buy a beer. Yeah, he was fantastic. No grudges at all. Did you, you play uh, table tennis against him? Uh, look, Every night. Him and, him and, him and John, John Rantel were always playing table tennis. Um, against, he fancied himself as a table tennis breast. Um, and most times he beat me, but because he had the flashy backhands and all that sort of stuff, I was just one of those battles. Just sort of, he just got to keep getting it back, get it back, get it yeah. back, get, and he'll make a mistake. But I used to play table tennis a lot with John Rantel. Often we were there at midnight still playing table tennis. Yeah, Mopsy. Yeah. I'd say lock up. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, uh, could you imagine the contemporaries putting up that tirade of invective that Barras used to heap upon us? Oh, yeah, when he would cut loose. Never, oh, my God. Talk about a HR department these days. <laughs> They'd be queued up, the whole 20 of them. Uh, God, he could he could hand out a spray. There's no doubt about that. But certainly you were right. enamelled to it. And, of course, you know, as uh, Leon rightfully alluded to, 306 games and... You know, unfortunately, he was struck down at the end by a, a crippling knee injury because he could have gone on, couldn't you? Uh, oh, look, I intended to go on, but I tried to play the next year. Um, but oh, my back had gone at that stage, and I just every time I ran, I felt like I tore a calf muscle. Mm. Um, it was really just coming from my back, but I could just—I didn't get a gun. Didn't, didn't play a whole year. I was captain, but not getting get on the ground. No. I thought it's time to give it away. My body's too old. Thirty-five. Been beaten around enough. I've uh, had um, three re- knee reconstructions at that stage. Had another two since, but um, the body was telling me, get out, you stupid. Stop game, just go and do something else. And that's, that's what I did. I started, uh, I was still working those days. I was still full, uh, had a full time job in computers. Um, so, but I'd become an assistant coach to John Kennedy, the great John Kennedy. Yep. Uh, and then they promoted me to seniors after that. Um, which I didn't really want to coach. I mean, one of the mistakes I probably made was you know, getting, letting Ron Joseph and Bob Anderson talk me into coaching um, when I didn't really want to do it, but they had, they had no money. Why know, didn't you want to coach him? Very poor. And one of the first jobs they gave me was um, we got uh, 52 players on the list. We want you to Sack uh, half of them. rate them number one to 52. And so the, the, whoever you rate number one is going to get the most money. What little money they had, and the rate number 52 is not going to get much at all. And of course, that straight away I had half the, half the um, players against me from, from night one, from day one. Yeah. <laughs> because the ones that went down from what they were getting didn't like me at all. The ones that went up loved me, they loved me with a passion, but <laughs> you had half the team against you from the yeah. start. Tell me, uh, why didn't you want to coach? I mean, to so say you had the natural attributes, you were the, uh, you know, oh, you were know, the I was always a, um, I was always a, uh, even at school, I was a, a quite shy, reserved sort of a bloke. And then you get brought up at footy club with um, fantastic orators like Brass and Barry Davis and all those sort of things. Bob Ansett, oh, sorry, um, Lloyd Holyoke and Alan Naylor, all great orators. And all of a sudden, 
they want me to coach, and I said, I'm going to get stand up in front of all these people and make these speeches all the time if I do this. So I didn't really, I wasn't, and it never been an ambition of mine to coach, ever. Right. And all of a sudden you find yourself with any sort of apprenticeship, no apprenticeship at all in coaching, taking on a, a, an AFL side. It's gonna, it was always going to be part-time, doing it part-time. It's always going to be a hard gig. Was that the most difficult part of the coaching, you know, actually the, the oratory part, you know, addressing the players, you know, well, and you've got to address them I three times a day. too much time on improving that area rather than rather than sort of concentrating on game plans and all that sort of stuff and, and talking to the players and, and sort of getting them on side. But that's, when you're part-time, you haven't got yeah. the players other than the training nights. Well, why would the uh, club allow you to be, be part-time? Was it that... In those uh, days, I mean, so we're talking about 1990, for God's sake. Uh, it was on yeah, semi-professional. Did they try to talk you out of being uh, part-time? they make you full-time, even though they didn't oh, no, obviously have the money? They never tried to talk me out of that because it wasn't my, it wasn't my, my plan. It was theirs. Part-time coaches get paid less money than full-time coaches. It was all, right. always about money to, uh, to North Melbourne, as you know, Sam. Yeah, I do months. know. Uh, so, you got you got uh, into the seventy five year, which must have been both uh, Sam and you. You must have been. Did you see that coming? That that, that first premiership ever. Uh, I know. You, I think you got beaten in the grand final the year before, didn't you? Richmond beat us in seventy four. Yes. Yeah. So there must have been some sort of anticipation that you're going to kick on from there. Um, look, with Ron Bresh around now, although it was still around in those days, I mean, the whole place had a buzz about it, as Sam would know, and you can just see that it was going places. I mean, they had a fantastic committee, um, good good plans put in place with, obviously, Brass. Brass, Brass had been a premiership coach and, and, and we were winning games that we'd never... But Sam, before Brass got there, Sam would have played a couple of years with the Huddley, won a game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really struggled winning games. So, I mean, there was a real buzz about the place. So, I'm not sure about we expected to be premiers, but we certainly thought we'd be making the finals most years, as we did right throughout the, um, the 70s. Uh, and so, if you make the finals every year, you've got a chance of winning. And in 74, once we lost that game, I mean, Brass was pretty angry after that game, as you'd expect. But uh, we lost the first four games in 75, I think. Yeah, we did, the first four. Uh, we lost the first four games and uh, then we started winning games and we obviously made the finals mm. finished third where we finished and happy, happy um, once we lost the year before we made the grand final I don't think anybody was going to lose that day both of them were probably the best side in 75 they were favourites yeah. I, I believe um, and we beat them in the grand final and, but the <coughs> next year when we made the grand final again against the same side Hawthorne I think we were the best side that year in 76 but Hawthorne beat us because they had a, a motivation of Peter Trippin's about to die and the irony, the you fun- talk to Hawthorne blokes, yeah. and they're all they're all very keen to win the premiership for Peter Crimmins. And the, you know, the funny thing about footy, you know, you talk about us being the losing in '74. You think redemption's imminent the following year. You ask St Kilda fans, you know, in '66 when they, you know, they, uh, when they got they won their first, they would have thought surely there's going to be two or three follow. But there's no guarantees in footy, no matter how good you are. Oh, no, particular year. no guarantees, especially in those days. It was nowhere near as professional. Yeah. yeah. In the 60s, wasn't sort of a professional sort of organisation. And, and uh, a lot of people around um, uh, Shimmer that would say that St Kilda should have won a lot more games at that time with the side they had. And uh, uh, but things really need to come together, don't they, uh, to win a flag? A lot of things. Well, oh, certainly, John. I mean, just look at, look at Collingwood. I mean, to me, Collingwood have been the most underperforming side since the 60s because, I mean, they're supposed to be the best club. Ask them, they'll tell you they're the best club. But they've won two premierships in 65 years. Yeah. Um, so they're not easy to win. 
that's for sure. Uh, you just can't take it for granted. I think one of the Collingwood's problems for many years early, especially in the 70s and 80s, where they kept being runners up all the time, um, was that they just took it for granted that they were going to, they were a great club, they were, were going to be premiers. They just didn't do the extra work to make, get them over the line. I'll, I'll like, introduce like, like you to uh, Melbourne, who hadn't won too many premierships before the 70s. They were, they were desperate to win more and more and more, and more desperate than Collingwood. That's the way I look at it. I'll get you to meet your main, your uh, namesake if you can get there on Thursday. Uh, Wayne Richardson, I'm very really pleased pleased to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've talked to Wayne before about that. <laughs> Shimmy, you're uh, and rightfully so. You know, you'll always be regarded as one of the game's all-time greats, let alone the great at North Melbourne. You know, your figures alone represent that, but a lot of people wouldn't know just, you know, the blood you spilled out in the ground and how determined you were and, you know, your kicking left a little bit to be desired at times, but uh, you certainly how straightened that out. fast too. He's quick. Quick as, quick as. He's lightning, he was. Well, but, I, I watched, uh, I happened to watch the replay of the 77 grand final the other week. Um, I just happened to be on Fox so I just watched a bit of it. And you're right, I wasn't a great kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you improved your kicking. I always remember it. <laughs> You know, many a time I let up from half forward when you were on the ball, and I said, oh, no. But uh, you improved your kicking immensely. You end up kicking about, how many, 351 goals or 350 goals around there? I, I think I kicked 354 goals, and I asked somebody to work at how many points I kicked, and I think they come back with 780. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been a leftover from Brian uh, Dixon's days, the kicking, because he, he was a shocker too. Anyway, it's all, all, all great experiences, a whole lot of it. And, Tim, the, I guess the heartening thing, and, and particularly from... And I mean this sincerely from my point of view because I know there's a degree of acrimony and bitterness when you first uh, when you departed from the coaching spree for varying reasons. But it's good to see you back at the club and uh, they were tough times. I know there was no money involved then and there was a, there was difficulty in terms of your exit strategy and, and whatever because there's always, the one thing about football clubs, there's always an individual or two that'll sort of be in the, you know, cause a, uh, a grievance or something. But... You know, we should be eternally grateful for the journey and the opportunities that we've had over the years. And, you know, you're in a great space now and you look back and lauded on all quarters as being, a, you know, one of the all-time greats. And you must feel gratified within yourself for oh, what yeah, you've look, achieved. Sam, it, was a, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I, look, when I was playing, I didn't really appreciate how much effect players and clubs could have on individuals. I mean, I just went there along to, to play, to train, and, and try and get a kick and try and help North Melbourne win. But and the, the supporters I've met since I've given the game away completely, um, what it meant to them, I just couldn't, didn't understand it. Yeah. And, and they, they, live, they live and die by the game of football. I don't know. I don't even know what half them do during over summer when there's no football because he's so passionate about it. Exactly. Uh, and to have it have an effect on those sort of people, I didn't realise that until the end. But I certainly appreciate it now. Um, it has been a great journey. Um, I mean, every journey, as you know, has its ups and downs. Um, well, I've had a lot more ups and downs, so you just take it as it is and get on with life and keep having good times a couple of things uh, before we let you go Wayne um, people at Sports Night would often ask you I guess who was your main opposition who, who do you admire the most and I guess uh, his name was mentioned before Robbie Flower and I guess Dougie uh, Hawkins would be in that lot you, you, you I, had a lot of good opposition uh, look, uh, apart from being Bremner, who was pretty hard a lot of the times, I managed to beat him a couple of days towards the end of his career. The one that I had a lot of trouble getting a kick on, I think everybody ever played around him did too, was Bruce Dool. 
I played on Robbie Flair a few times and uh, we sort of broke even. Um, and I didn't play on Dougie Hawkins ever or Brian Wood or all those places. Chris Gregor, remember Chris Gregor was on the wing? When yeah. I played on the wing, I, we only played on the wing for, for two, three years maximum. I remember it knows me know me as thinks I'm a wingman, but I played more on the half forward flank for three years before I went to the wing, a wing for three years, and the rest of my career was on the ball. But they still know me as a wingman rather than any gas. I mean, so I had some great, I played against some great players on half forward flank like Bruce Stool and, uh, and remember on the wing there was the Robbie Flowers of the world and um, uh, Mickey Turner from Geelong, uh, Ricky Barham, of course, in, in both grand finals in 77. Um, so there's, there's a lot of good players, there's been a lot of them. Uh, Wayne, it's been very, very good having you. Um, how about a bit of advice? Um, you know, we call ourselves sport and life. Uh, do you uh, equate anything between what you learnt in sport and what you learnt in life? Uh, look, I think, I think um, sport, you learn a lot of things um, about life. One of the things that I sort of as I ended up as a mother earlier, is you have a lot of highs and lows. Um, and sport at every level probably teaches you, especially at the highest level, teaches you how to deal with the lows and how to teach with the uh, deal with the highs. Um, but both of them are certainly going to come in, in professional sport. You have your highs and lows and it teaches you how to do that and you can take that on for the rest of your life. Because you're going to have sad times in your personal life as well. You're going to have deaths in your family, etc. And sport gives you the, the tools, I think, to deal with all those things. Um, that's the, probably the best thing I've learned out of sport, I suppose. Well, Shimmy, you've been an ornament to the game. You've been an ornament to yourself and your family and uh, it's always great chatting to you. And... Uh, just quickly, uh, in our podcast, uh, we're fortunate to have a mutual friend in Jerry Ryan from Mitchelton Winery, and as such, we uh, we don't pay a stipend as such to our guests, but we do uh, furnish them with a couple of bottles of that beautiful red that you're partial to. Thank God, we did have a couple of, of bottles here. A couple of bottles, and... Uh, is uh, Leon is in charge of distribution now? We've had we've been going for three years, and there's about in that period we've had about 150 guests. 140 of suitors still looking for their product because of Leon <laughs> refuses to dispense with it. Who's the one that got it? <laughs> so, I reckon we'll be drinking more than Leon nowadays. Uh, <laughs> so, what I'm saying to you in simple layman's terms is a good friend and a former teammate. You are entitled to, you, you should be a recipient of two bottles. However, oh, if you're not... You know, like, you know I like my red. If, uh, no, now this is the critical part of the uh, equation. If you're not in receipt of them, uh, please don't litigate, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so enjoy. I won't, I won't do that. And thank you very much, mate. Don't, you're a superstar. Don't forget to send me um, uh, Glenn James's number. Oh, yes, uh, Leon, you're in charge of that. We'll do that this afternoon, oh, as soon as we finish here. So I'll, I'll, if, I, I'll, if, if he says he'll come, I'll certainly be there on Thursday. Okay, buddy. Well, in fact, if you hang on for a minute, I'll give it to you after we sign off. Um, well, I've got a pen with me. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. I'll text. You got my, you got my no, number. Do so you know how to text? Yeah, I'll text it to you. Text. Just text it to the same uh, number. <laughs> that, cause where are you? You're, you're holidaying. Where are you? You're at Epilock, aren't you? Holidaying at the moment. Uh, yeah, I'm just at Epilock for the weekend, yeah. For another yeah, weekend. W- water scare. No, no, just don't. I'm, I'm coming back this afternoon. 
Oh, no, no, don't worry, it's my age. You're kidding, aren't you? <laughs> bare footy, be, be, bare footy. You're on and Laugh, and our guest is, has been uh, Wayne Schimmelbush. What a star. And Schimmel, we'll catch you. I think we're going to talk to Rodney Hogg. Uh, we'll be talking to Rodney Hogg uh, next, uh, the, the very shortly. Tear away fast bowler. Tear away fast bowler. Similar oh, to Schimmel. Oh, thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Wayne. See you, buddy.